0: Well, today we are going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. Uh, The words will show on the screen, but turn there quickly, because we're going to start today uh, by by looking at the text very very quickly. Uh, The first two verses that we're going to read today are set in the context of the day of Pentecost, when the Apostle Peter preached the first uh, sermon after the ascension of Christ to heaven. It was a sermon in which he confronted the listeners... Uh, That day with the truth about their rejection of Jesus, he proclaimed the truth about who this one they rejected really is, and he called on people to repent, to change their mind about Jesus, to be baptized, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in response to this message and the work of the Holy Spirit that day, as we'll read about, 3,000 people responded to Peter's message and became numbered among the followers of Jesus. Wouldn't that have been exciting to have witnessed uh, the day of Pentecost? What an amazing uh, thing. And then the next six verses we'll read share details about the early practices of these people that were added to the church on this single day. How they went from being a collection of individuals from uh, different backgrounds and circumstances and became a community of people who were committed both to Christ and to each other. Uh, so follow along as I read Acts two forty through 47. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just one quick observation that I want to make that is not uh, on your outline, if you follow along on the outline. Notice that those who accepted the message were baptized. The, the New Testament practice is that baptism happened almost immediately after conversion. You, you look all through the New Testament, this is what you'll, what you'll see. People received Christ, they were baptized. And so if you're here today and you've not been baptized since coming to faith in Christ, I just want to mention again that we are having a baptism next Sunday. It'll be the second time that we've had a baptism within our worship service. And I have to tell you, the last time I thought it was a phenomenal, uh, exciting experience. And so if you're here and you've not been baptized since coming to faith in Christ, I encourage you strongly to be baptized. And if you're not sure why you need to, uh, then going to the class today could be very helpful to you because Ben will cover a number of the very important reasons why you ought to be baptized. But for now, I just wanted to point out that baptism almost immediately upon conversion was the New Testament norm. And you ought to be baptized if you've received Christ as Savior. There are many good reasons to be baptized, but there is no better reason than this one. To be obedient to Jesus. If you come out of that class and you're unconvinced of all of the benefits of baptism, you still ought to be baptized to be obedient to Jesus. An unbaptized believer just shouldn't be. It's just not the, way, not the way it is. So if you're an unbaptized believer, go to the class, uh, get baptized next Sunday. So now back to the outline. I've called today's message Supernatural Community. Because what we read about in today's verses is the formation of the Church of Jesus Christ out of a group of people who were previously uncommitted to one another, coming from various backgrounds and circumstances. Uh, Lloyd Ogilvie, uh, a pastor for many years, a great theologian, says that all of the miracles of the day of Pentecost, the final miracle of the Holy Spirit, was the birth of the church. And he says something that I thought was so interesting and completely agree with. He says that the birth of the church is a miracle because of the reality of human nature. You know, human nature is bent toward some pretty unsavory things. We are bent towards self-centeredness. We are bent toward making ourselves a king of everything at everyone else's expense. We are bent towards selfishness. But the church, the community of believers, when it is working and operating like it is supposed to, it takes self-centered individuals and it makes them one, makes them a body... And it transforms them from being self-centered individuals to being a self-sacrificing community. And so Ogilvy says that the greatest miracle of the Holy Spirit is the transformation of persons. But that the second greatest miracle is the oneness with each other that have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church of Jesus Christ is a supernatural community. It did not happen, and it does not continue by human effort, initiative, or power. It is only possible because it's something that God does. The church, the community of believers, is a supernatural community. It only happens by an act of the Holy Spirit. That we are all here together today, committed to one another in the name of Christ, Out of many individuals becoming one body, this is an act of God. This is a supernatural community. It's a community that exists only by the power of God. And it sustains and continues only by the power of God. And so I want to very quickly share six characteristics of the church, this supernatural community that exists and is sustained by the power of God. Uh, These characteristics of supernatural community uh, are true, should be true at least, of every local church and of the church universal. And, And these characteristics should also be present within each individual Christian. They are markers of people who belong to Christ. They are markers of a community that isn't of human making but is birthed and sustained by God himself. So there, there are communities that exist outside of the church, but these things mark the community that is not of human effort, but the community that is birthed and sustained by God himself. So here's the first one. Supernatural community is marked by a hunger for truth. A hunger for truth. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Openness to and a desire for being fed by the word of God. A hunger for truth. These things are key evidences that a person has been truly regenerated. And it's an evidence that a community is a supernatural, it is a God-breathed community. Individually and collectively, this supernatural community called the church is marked by a hunger for truth. Here's the second one. The supernatural community we call the church is marked by a commitment to fellowship. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together. This supernatural community called the church is marked by By a commitment to fellowship. And this is the characteristic that we're actually going to focus on today. So I'll come back to this one here in a few minutes. The third uh, characteristic, the church is marked by the sharing of the Lord's Supper. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread. The consensus of the uh, biblical uh, commentators, the scholarly opinion, tends to view, uh, tends to lean toward the view that this first reference in this text of the breaking of bread is a reference to the Lord's Supper. And so this supernatural community called the church is marked, is characterized by sharing the Lord's Supper, which we have done uh, this very morning. The fourth thing, the supernatural community is characterized by prayer. Verse 42 again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. How appropriate is it that a community that only exists because of the power of God would have prayer as one of its markers? Prayer is communication with God. Through prayer, we communicate with the one who transcends all. All natural laws. And here's the the fifth one. This supernatural community called the church is characterized by thankful praise. Thankful praise. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God. And here's the sixth one. Characteristic of the church, of this supernatural community, passionate evangelism. Passionate evangelism. 3,000 people were added to the church in a single day. And the Christians from that point went out from their experience of the day of Pentecost. And everywhere they went throughout the Roman Empire they were passionately spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And so when you see these characteristics showing up in your life, they serve as evidences that you have been truly regenerated, that you belong to Christ. And when we see these characteristics within a community, within within a group of people, then you know that you are witnessing a supernatural community. A community that is not based on human effort and initiative, but that exists by the plan and the power of God. Here is my prayer. That each of these characteristics would be true of Vineyard Christian Church in increasing measure. I believe that they are true, but I want them to be true in increasing measure. Can anybody say, amen, we want an increasing measure of these things? Let's do it again. Can anybody say amen? Amen. amen? amen. All right. I'm tired of being up here and not getting any feedback, so I'm going to start demanding it. Just joking. I'm not going to demand it. That's annoying when you demand it. It wasn't annoying that time, but it would be the next time, I know. So so to, uh, to help make this a bit more manageable today, I just want to focus on a single characteristic of the church that, that is so important. It is the commitment To fellowship. The commitment, or or as the text says, the commitment to the fellowship. Verse 42, which you've uh, probably memorized by now, says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The word that gets translated fellowship here in the NIV is the Greek word uh, koinonia. And as with many words in the Bible, finding a single word that kind of perfectly conveys the meaning of koinonia is challenging. It goes beyond the capabilities of the English language. And so here are four words that you will often find used when people define koinonia. Koinonia means participation. Participation. Koinonia means sharing. It also means, and this is three words, it also means having in common. And as the NIV translated, it means fellowship. A commitment to fellowship is a commitment to participating with other members of the family of God, the body of Christ, the supernatural community called the church. Christianity is a community religion. It, listen, listen. Yeah, you've heard me say this many times, but maybe you've forgotten. It cannot, Christianity cannot be done alone. At least, not a version of it that the Bible recognizes. It just cannot be done. It is a community religion. The commitment to fellowship is a commitment to sharing. To sharing. You know how early in life we resist sharing, right? It pretty happen, it pretty much happens as soon as we're born. We don't want to share things. But a commitment to fellowship is a commitment to sharing. What What are we committed to sharing with one another? Sharing time? Sharing knowledge? Sharing love? Sharing resources? Sharing whatever you have... That can be beneficial to the community and individual members of the community. Commitment to fellowship is a commitment to sharing. A commitment to fellowship is also a commitment to have all things in common. And we'll talk a bit more about that one here in a couple of minutes. But to have all things in common basically means, listen closely to this one, that I consider the well-being of the community... As one and the same with my own well-being. I consider the well-being of the community. As one and the same with my own well-being. With members of the supernatural community. All us-them terminology is gone. With members of the supernatural community. There is only us we're one we belong together we belong to each other there is only us so when you put these things together they help us better understand this commitment to fellowship because sometimes when we hear the word fellowship we think of things like a night of fellowship or a time of fellowship and we think that because we sat around and we shot the breeze with someone that we checked the fellowship commitment uh, to the church. And I want to be clear, shooting the breeze is part of Christian fellowship. It absolutely is. But there is a lot more to it than occasional sitting around and shooting the breeze with people. Fellowship with one another, koinonia, is participating with each other, sharing with each other, seeing the well-being of the community as one and the same with my own well-being and getting rid of all us-them thinking and embracing that within the community there is only us. And then we see some practical examples of how Koinonia worked out in the early church and still do and should work out in the church today. Verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, now most of the commentators, at least that I read, uh, are of the view that in verse 42, the breaking of bread that is referenced is the Lord's Supper. But here in verse 46, the weight leans toward this being a reference to sharing a regular meal together. Basically eating dinner with each other socializing with each other, spending time together in fellowship. I don't know how the rest of you feel about this, but I feel like some of the best community life that we ever have within this supernatural community called the church happens around food. Amen. That got an amen. Didn't even have to ask for it on the food reference. Amen, they said. I, I think this is some of the best community life we have. Church picnics, potlucks, cookouts, even small group snack time. Amen. Snack time. Small group Potlucks. Often when I meet with someone from the church, whether it's at their request or at my request, I try to do it over food. Uh, There is something that is just very special and very personal about sharing a meal together. If you are not regularly sharing food with members of our church family, I encourage you to take steps to try to change that. It is part of the commitment of fellowship. It is an untapped source of encouragement for yourself, and it's an unused way of being an encouragement to someone else. And so, I I encourage you uh, to do this. And one of the ways that you can so easily do this is by connecting with people after a Sunday service uh, for food, uh, for lunch. Put a pot of chili on at, at the house and. Have it ready to invite someone over or or invite someone to go out to lunch. And, you know, you don't have to go to somewhere expensive. You can go to McDonald's. The point isn't what you're sharing. It's that you're sharing food and that you're spending time together. So invite someone to, to uh, lunch. Make a point of attending church potlucks and picnics. You know, those things are not things that we just do for no good reason, that they're, they're not, you know, just thoughtless activities. Well, you know, churches just have potlucks, so, so that's what we'll do. It's not, not like that. These things have a biblical basis. These things promote, encourage, deepen relationships with each other. These things are a way that we, at least initially, invite each other into our lives. This is part of the commitment of fellowship that marks the supernatural community called the church. Listen, if you have to be an initiator to make this happen, then be an initiator. I know sometimes it can be a little disappointing, a little disheartening to to not be the one that gets asked, but to be the one that does the asking. but that's okay. You end up with fellowship either way. So if you need to initiate, initiate. Invite someone over, invite them out uh, to eat. Make it very clear you're going Dutch and then invite them out to eat.. I know. <laughs> By the way, I just say, assume everybody pays for their own, even if you get invited out. That's just an easier way to live life, okay? All right? I don't want you paying for mine when we go to McDonald's and then expecting me to pay for yours when we go to Morton's Steakhouse, okay? So (laughs) don't, not pulling any of that nonsense on me. Do Morton's Steakhouses even exist anymore? Yeah, okay. I haven't been to one in about 30 years, so I wasn't <laughs> sure. Don't look at things like church potlucks and picnics as just extraneous extras that don't really matter. No, these things are part of community life. They are part of our commitment to each other. And these things help us feel more at home within uh, the church family. As such, these things have great spiritual value. Great spiritual value. Look at verse 46 again. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So notice they met both in the temple courts, but then they also met in their homes. The early church was essentially a house church movement. The the early church would have shared many things in common... Uh, with our current home groups, with our current home groups. Uh, Over the past few decades, if you've uh, been around the church for a while, you have probably come to realize that there has been an increasing emphasis among churches toward home groups, small groups. Uh, When I was growing up, there was no emphasis on such things. Uh, but, But over the last few decades, there's been a strong emphasis in this direction. Churches of hundreds of people. Churches of thousands of people have a lot to offer in their public worship services held in auditoriums. These are good and valuable things. But there is great value in meeting with smaller groups of people where you become well-known, where friendships develop to a deeper level, and where you can truly care for one another in the context of Christian community. Uh, I talked about this not too long ago, but I think it bears repeating as we uh, approach our fall semester of our uh, small groups. If, if, uh, uh, if you try to walk out community with everybody that's here this morning, it's just not going to work. At least not with any depth, you cannot live in community with hundreds of people. In order to live the kind of community life that we see in the Bible and that is spiritually beneficial to yourself and your brothers and sisters, we need to get into smaller groupings. That's what small groups, that's what home groups are able to do for us. And so if you are not committed to a home group, we, we call them connect groups here, you are missing out on an incredibly important part of this supernatural community. That is the church. And I'm not going to beat you up about it, but I just want to honestly encourage you uh, that that you are missing out uh, on something that would be very helpful to you. And I want to take just a couple of minutes. I don't think I've done this publicly yet. I want to take just a couple of minutes to explain a few differences in how we are doing small groups uh, here at the church going forward. Uh, Jarrell, as he has led our small groups over the last couple of years, has uh, taken steps to move us in this direction. Uh, but now we are fully committed to this direction, and we just want you to understand a few things that are different. Uh, we realize some of you might have even had some disappointing experiences in groups for some of the reasons I'm going to mention, and we want you to know that it's, it's different now. So, for example, in the past, you could join a group here at Vineyard Pataskala, you could begin to get to know the people in the group. And then at the end of the semester, that group would decide to stop meeting and, and would just disband. And all of the effort that you had put in to, to trying to get to know people, would, would, it wouldn't be totally wasted because you'd still interact with them. But in terms of the consistent meeting with this group of people you had invested time in, you'd sort of be cast adrift again, uh, needing to try to redo that with another group. And it's not going to be that way anymore. We are asking all of our connect groups uh, to be ongoing groups, to be continued to meeting over the long haul so that people are able to form deep and lasting friendships within that group and stay committed to one another over the long haul. Uh, In the past, groups often formed based on shared interest, life stage, or topic. Uh, and, and while we uh, will still see those types of groups, our primary type of group is the connect group, which has as its foundational purpose living in community rather than topic, interest, or stage of life. In the past, when you needed cared for during an illness or you needed prayer support or you needed help of some kind, it it might have seemed rather unclear and, and you weren't sure exactly what the best way to go about getting that kind of care was. Uh, maybe it was viewed that, uh, you know, just a few people in the church gave that kind of care. Well, now this type of help is available within the connect groups. These are becoming the primary place to both receive and give care prayer support, hospital visitation, meals after surgery or having a baby, these things are going to happen within the context of connect groups, which are groups that are focused on fellowship, engaging the Bible, and caring for each other. In the past, we never tried to guide how you would choose a group. It was just a wonderful, chaotic free-for-all. And now we are encouraging, not requiring, we try not to require things because it just discourages us when you don't do it, so we try not to require things, but we are encouraging you to consider going to the group that is geographically the closest to you. There are benefits to this, we think. Reduced travel time to and from group. Being in a group that is geographically close to you allows you to enter into the life of the group members better than if you're spread out all over the place. And also, if we can move in this direction and see uh, groups based on geography, what we hope will eventually happen is that those groups will become communities of blessing for their neighborhoods or their immediate geographical area. And so we think there is a lot of good things Uh, in in these changes, and and we would like to um, uh, see you guys uh, commit to groups in this way. Now, here's something I can imagine you saying. Brian, I don't like the people that are geographically the closest to me. (sighs) There was more. I don't like them as well as some other people. Of course, the truth might be you just don't like them, but but I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say I don't like them as well as other people. Well, then we need to talk about that. Because here's another benefit of geographic groups. It nudges us toward doing something we needed to do anyway, which is getting rid of all of the us-them mentality that can continue to infect our thinking even within this supernatural community called the church. Amen, Brian. (laughs) Now, I want to be clear that we see great value in things like men's groups and women's groups and various age-specific groups. We see great value in classes and going deeper into specific topics. Things like uh, marriage classes such that we're offering this semester. Things like the walking with Jesus classes, which we're taking a semester off, but we'll be back in the uh, winter. And so we are going to continue to offer all of those things. But our foundational grouping of people is the connect group, where you are not together based on interest or gender or stage of life, but you are together based on being one in Christ. By the way, let me explain a little mistake that occurred around here this week. Most of you received a letter encouraging you toward a specific geographic group. How many of you received this? Very good, almost all of you. If you didn't receive it, it probably means somehow you have failed to get on our mailing list and we'd love to uh, have you give us your contact information. I was so proud of myself for doing this and encouraging you toward your geographic groups. And then I realized... That there was a mistake. In the middle of the letter, I told you the right group, and then down at the bottom, I encouraged everybody in the church to go to Pataskalis Central Group. (laughs) (laughs) That's Bob Nicholson's group. His group cannot handle everybody in the church. So I just wanna be clear the group that I was encouraging you to go to is the one in the middle of the page not the one at the bottom. I would love to be able to blame this on a staff member other than myself, but it cannot be. In fact, I was so disheartened when it was brought to my attention because normally I will have Shua or Michelle or Ben proofread anything I send out. And on this particular letter, I put it together and I was considering having them proofread it and I thought, I can write a letter without their help. I'm just going to send it. And that's what happens. So so we're encouraging, not requiring, but encouraging you. And, of course, if you're already committed to a group or you'd already decided to go to a group, that's fine. Uh, you know, our, our main thing is we want you in a group. But if you're not committed to a group, give serious consideration to just going to the one that's the closest to you. So koinonia is participation, sharing, fellowship, having everything in common. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, this has led some to a very faulty conclusion. They have concluded that because of this, the early church is a great example of socialism or perhaps even communism. And those who have concluded that are just horribly wrong. And let me just give you, I'm not going to talk about this long, but let me just give you a couple reasons why they're wrong. This having all things in common in the early church was completely voluntary rather than compulsory, making it a very poor example uh, to defend socialism uh, or communism, which are always compulsory. Uh, Individuals within the early church continued to maintain personal property and possessions, And in fact, even in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, which many of you uh, may be familiar with, uh, this is still illustrated and borne out because they were judged for a very specific thing. They were judged for selling their property and pretending that they had given all of the proceeds of their property to the community, while in fact they had held back a bunch of it. That's what the judgment on Ananias and Sapphira was about. But as Peter pronounced his judgment on them, he clearly told them that they had had no obligation to give, making their posturing so unnecessary and so pointless. But even though this reference to having all things in common can't rightly be used to defend socialism or suggest that the early church was socialist. It does mean something. It does mean something. What does it mean? It means that the early church did see their possessions as not given for themselves, but for the good of the community. It does mean that. It means the early church was more concerned with supplying the needs of one another within the community than what is often the case within the church of Jesus Christ universally speaking, today. Now, living this out in our context is tough. And I talk about this almost every time I I get into some area of the Bible that talks about sharing. You know, when the poorest among us have cell phones and a car and a TV and a computer, and when our biggest problem with food, even among the poor, is eating too much of it, it is challenging To know how to live this out. And so I would caution all of us not to be too indignant every time the church does not step up and provide something that someone feels they need. Part of living this out has to include being able to distinguish between what are truly needs and what, when you get really down to it, are wants. We're not called to supply the wants of each other. We are called to supply the true needs of each other. And that was easier to walk out when you lived in a time when every day was a struggle just for your basic needs. Uh, which is not the case for, for most people in our uh, culture. Lloyd Ogilvie says, God draws us into oneness and loves each of us through each other, loves each of us through each other. And so this commitment to having all things in common it is a call to truly see ourselves as one, to truly care for the well-being of our brothers and sisters, to realize and live out that there are no longer us and them, but our brothers and sisters are only us And they deserve to be cared for as us. This is what having all things in common is about. Realizing that we're one and that God loves each of us through each other. And responding to one another consistent with that realization. The Bible is very clear. The entire Christian life is meant to be done in community. So here's one of my prayers today, that every single one of us here today would reject individualistic faith, which is a variety of faith that the Bible simply doesn't know anything about. And here's the truth, friend. Whether you are willing to admit it or not, whether you realize it or not, life without community creates deep void in people's lives including yours. We were meant for each other, so we need each other. I pray that those among us who are still practicing an individualistic version of faith would turn away from it, that we would reject this unbiblical counterfeit. And I pray that every one of us would embrace biblical community, that would embrace koinonia, that we would appreciate this supernatural community called the church enough to embrace it in all that it means and fully enter into the life of the community. And here's something I know. I know that to many people this all sounds like a whole lot of work. It sounds like a lot of hassle. It sounds like a lot of trouble. It sounds like a lot of inconvenience. Frankly, it just sounds like a big old pain in the backside. And here's the truth. It is. Living in community is a lot of work. It is a hassle many times. It does come with trouble because community means people. And wherever there are people... There's trouble. In many ways, living in community really is a giant pain in the butt. I believe that's the first time I use that word. That's the last time I'll use it. I assure you I will not go any further than that word. But it was really the only thing that fit here. But here's something that is even truer than that. The joy, the enrichment, and the security that come from being in a caring community outweighs by far the inconvenience of getting close to people. Amen. We were meant for each other. We need each other. And finally, I want us to always understand and appreciate that this supernatural community called the church, it's supernatural for this reason, it is a work of God, it is a work of the Holy Spirit. There is no true fellowship without Christ's Spirit in us and between us. To the extent we're living in this reality, it is evidence of the Spirit's activity among us, and for those of us who haven't yet entered into this reality, just know that it takes the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to begin to live out this commitment to community, this commitment to fellowship. And so if you need to, I encourage you to surrender to the Holy Spirit today. Allow him to do the necessary work in your life so that you will begin to live as a true part of this supernatural community called the church. Amen? All right. Well, here's how we want to end today. As we are embarking on our uh, fall semester of uh, groups and classes, we specifically today want to highlight our connect groups. Uh, So throughout the last uh, couple of weeks or so, we've highlighted some of the other groups that we're going to be offering, uh, classes that we've been offering. But today we want to highlight our connect groups. And so I'm going to ask each of our connect group leaders uh, to just slip up here and for one or two or three minutes uh, just share with you uh, whatever they feel to share with you about their group. This will help you to see who's leading the groups and uh, maybe help you kind of reach a decision on what group you might want to try, again, with a strong encouragement to go to the group uh, that is geographically the closest to you. So we will start out with the group that I encouraged everybody in the church to go to and ask uh, Bob Nicholson, who leads the Petaskalus Central Group, uh, along with his wife, and he's going to be assisted by the Tresses, ask him to share. Bob, you you can come right up here. Thank you. Well, good
1: morning, and I, uh, even though I'm not actually hosting the group this year, Kevin Tress and Kay are hosting it, uh, I don't think they can hold everyone, so, uh, yeah, so, but we look forward to as many of you who can come as well, and, uh, but uh, this coming year, we're looking at something that I believe um, every one of us, including myself, um, really struggle with because of all the things and all the commands and demands in our life, and that is basically living your life as an intentional Christian. Um, and I will tell you that this word intentionality is something that I will tell you that um, it's tough work. If you're a, if you're a husband, a wife, a, a father, a mother, you know as well as anyone that for you to have a productive family, a, a vital family, you have to be intentional about it. You have to work at that. And that is exactly what God has called us to in our faith. Now, I don't happen to believe, and, and I believe God's word is very clear, that he has called us to a simple faith. But, and, and, and I don't think that there's a lot of complexity about it. But it does take intentionality. And so the basis of our group for this coming year is going to be simply intentional. That's basically the subject. And um, I'm basing it on Nehemiah 4. And in the, in the book of Nehemiah, if you've read that, and of course we don't have time to do that today, but Nehemiah was challenged by God to rebuild the wall. And if you have ever launched on any maneuver, any object that you are really striving to complete, you're going to have naysayers. And boy, they came in droves. He received threats. His family received threats. His work folks received those threats and he prayed to God in Nehemiah chapter 4, he says, God don't forget that these people are, they're not mocking me they're mocking you they're mocking what you want and then in verse 13 he gathers all the people together and he says to them in verse 13 everyone first of all, look to the Lord but fight for your families fight for what you believe in Believe in what we're doing and trust God, the ultimate master. And I love the intentionality of Nehemiah there. And that's the kind of thing we're going to strive to do over our time together. So I encourage you to really take a look at simply intentional intentional in your Christian faith. That's our subject. Thanks.
0: Amen. Very good. I hope a lot of you will uh, go to that group. Uh, the next group that uh, we're offering is Pataskala Northeast. Uh, this group is led by Stan Tenen. Stan, why don't you go on up? Come on up and share. Where's Tim? Tim, stand
2: up, please. Tim's um, what relief pitcher? We warming up in the bullpen. Um, most people associate me with, um, for, you know, in this church, with the Walking with Jesus classes, and uh, that's been a lot of uh, tremendous amount of fun. We're going to start those again in January. With the whole, well, the transition with the church is just like too complicated in the fall to try to do it. So we'll pick that up in January. The group that I'm leading is not a Walking with Jesus class. It's being held where we had one, but it's going to be a completely different format. A lot more discussion. Much more, I really like what Bob said about being intentional. It's the same thing that I was thinking about. About living the Christian life on purpose. You know, instead of just... A a friend of mine said one time... He's an old old guy uh, from West Virginia. Just a good old boy. And he said, dead fish float downstream. The flow of our culture is away from God. Increasingly. And to live the Christian life... You're going to have to swim against the current. Dead fish float downstream. They just go with the flow. They just go with the flow. They just, you know, whatever, wherever, wherever the current takes them, they go. It's live fish that go against the stream. Think of trout going up, you know, going up the waterfalls and stuff. That's what this is about. That's what all these groups are about. It's about discipleship. It's about being a better follower of Jesus. It's about knowing each other better about knowing God better about knowing his word better and then living it not academic knowledge I kind of live most of my life there but the truth of the matter is that's not not what God calls us to, that's not relationship with God or with people so um, our group also will be focusing on living it on purpose so thank you
0: Uh, the third uh, Connect group that we're offering will be for those of you in the uh, Reynoldsburg, and we're encouraging those in the Pickerington area as well. This is the one that would most likely be geographically the closest to you. And uh, that group is uh, led by Jarrell and Karen Godsey. So Jarrell going to come and share with you.
3: Well, I think it's awesome to, you know, do things simply intentional. I might go to that group. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to be the same time as ours, so... No, I'm just kidding. But, and I would go to Stan's. I think he's an awesome, but I like to wear socks. So the, um, the, the idea behind, uh, as far as Reynoldsburg, that we've been doing uh, for the last several years, actually, is we simply show up, and we open the Scripture, and we read together. We read the Scripture together, and we um, kind of engage the, the dynamics that we see together. And it really is a discussion we don't really do much more than that other than have food and pray for each other and connect around the word. So it's one of the things where as we're trying to be intentional and, uh, and also learn to live it, we're really seeing the examples of the word in the word that uh, God has given for us to follow. And so while we've been mostly, we've been through the Psalms and Proverbs, we've been through the miracles and the parables, and we went through the book of Acts all of last year, uh, we're going to be doing this, um, this year, we're going to be doing really a journey through Genesis. So uh, we're going to be starting at the beginning. I don't know if we we'll get much further than that, but we'll have a good time doing it. And we'll uh, hopefully, as the intention of the, of the uh, groups are, is that we would know and love God more, and we would know and love each other more.
0: And also, we uh, thanked him a few weeks ago, but I just want to say again how much I appreciate Jarrell's leadership of the groups over the last, I think, three or four years, Uh, so just very much appreciate him doing that. And then the final group we have is really the most awesome group of them all. It uh, It is the Pataskala West Connect Group. It is led by... Uh, Brian and Michelle Bird, those of you uh, who are geographically the closest to us, uh, just thank the Lord that you were uh, placed in that geographic region because uh, you get to be in our group. And uh, to- totally joking. Um, what we do in our group is uh, one of two things in terms of uh, Bible study. Uh, we will either launch our discussion off of what the previous Sunday's message was, uh, which makes preparation for me just uh, wonderful, uh, The other thing we will sometimes do is launch our discussion off of wherever the daily Bible reading has been that week uh, if if you 're part of the church participating in the uh, daily Bible reading that we do, we will often launch off of that. And so one of those two things is where we focus our discussion. Uh, we will sometimes worship together, and uh, Michelle will sometimes play the guitar, and we'll sing together. Uh, a lot of times we'll come together and, and spend much of the group just in fellowship. Uh, we encourage you to come uh, again to just enter into the life of the group. You, you know, we're not really focusing this so much on... Uh, the the discussion topic, but we are focusing it on we want to be together and we want to uh, just relate to one another. And so at our group, we say if you come and all we decide to do that week is fellowship, we hope you won't be disappointed. You shouldn't be. Uh, because that is just uh, great and important stuff to just fellowship with one another. We pray for each other's needs every time that we're together. Uh, we, we have snack time and uh, that that's always uh, a fun time. I've noticed something in small groups that is fascinating to me. At snack time, everybody gets their plate of snacks and they stand. I've just never understood it. Tables and chairs all over the place and we all stand. Have you noticed that? Yeah? It's curious. Is it curious? Yeah, it's curious. So at my group, you are welcome to the couches and the chairs uh, while you have snacks. Uh, so we're going to be meeting on the second and fourth Wednesday, 7 to 9 p.m. We start this Wednesday, uh, and we would love to have you join us. Okay, uh, we're just about finished here. Let me just encourage you with one more thing about the groups. What we're wanting to do uh, is, you see, we have four connect groups. For a church our size, that is woefully inadequate. And we, uh, most of our groups, and we believe this fall, all of our groups uh, are going to end up with a lot of people in them. And so what it's going to be important for us to do is have a church culture where we are constantly birthing new groups. And so we want to ask all of you that go to groups to have your heart open uh, to things like the possibility of hosting a group in the future, to things like possibly leading a group in the future, Uh, to things like being a part of a small group of people that would launch off of your existing group and go start a new group. Uh, These are the things we want to move toward and get, you know, smaller groupings of people in their own geographic areas where they can make a difference. So that's what we're hoping happens. All right, why don't you guys stand?